0: Mother's Day. Well, if you'll uh, grab your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's Word, turn to Genesis. We'll be reading Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 today, as Pastor Bruce continues in his series. Today we're going to look at the topic of the crown of creation. We're going to be reading once again Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 31. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. And you can find it on the first page. So listen as I read Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food." Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we do thank you for your creation. We thank you for your plan and your provision for our lives, and we do thank you for our mothers on Mother's Day. And we ask that we would uh, have open hearts and minds to, uh, to the creation story, to Genesis, and, uh, Lord, to see that it provides a foundation for our very lives today and help us to just learn uh, from your word this morning and be with Pastor Bruce as he brings the message and uh, be with uh, our, the rest of our, our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kim. Beautiful job. Thank you, instrumentalists
1: appreciate that very much the existence of mankind raises several questions one of which is why I mean why did God create people perhaps you've wondered that yourself especially when you consider that it's people who have made a mess of this world in which we live so why did God create people What's the reason God put us here on this earth? Sooner or later, we all wonder, why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? Moms, perhaps you've even wondered that as you're changing diapers or even as grandmas as you're watching your grown kids. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Moms, do you sometimes feel like the mom who said, I've got a clock in my house that tells me when to get up, but some days... I just need one to tell me why and so it's not surprising then that Genesis this book that we're looking at Genesis 1 through 11 especially the book about beginnings tells us early on why God created people why God created moms well why am I here what is my purpose in life and what we're going to see today And we will continue this next Sunday, because this this is kind of a two-part message here, is we are going to see this big overview, this big idea. Notice it in your notes coming up on the screen. is that we were created to spread God's glory to the ends of the earth. That's why God created us. That's why you exist. This is your purpose in life. You were created to spread God's glory to the ends of the earth. And so whether you're a mom, this is your purpose. Whether you're a dad, this is your purpose. Regardless of what you do for a living, this is your purpose. If you're a student, if you're in high school, college, this is your purpose in life. If you go to the construction site, this is your purpose in life. If you go to the office, this is your purpose in life. It doesn't matter what you do for a living to make money to provide for yourself, while you're doing that, This is your purpose in life. This is why you exist, to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. We've already seen so far in the creation account here in Genesis that creation is all about God. It's all about His glory. In fact, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 19.1, the heavens actually declare the glory of God. And so the universe was created to declare the glory of God. And the reason that we now exist is to declare the glory of God to the very ends of the earth. This is made clear in Numbers 14, 21, where the Lord says, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. In Isaiah 43, 7, where the Lord refers to his people as those whom I created for my glory. Last Sunday, we saw that God is powerful. God is perfect in creating the universe. He Forms the earth, and then he fills the earth with the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and with the the birds, and the fish, and, and the animals, and then God creates man, and at the end of it all, he says it's good. In fact, at the very end of the sixth day, he even says it's very good. In fact, everything up to this point in the creation account has been really getting the earth ready for mankind, making it habitable for people. Creating man and woman is the final act of God's filling the earth. And it's the climax of the story of God's creation. And so what we see here on day 6 is really the crown of God's creation. Notice this in your notes. The crowning point of God's creation is none other than mankind, humanity. It's us. We are the crowning point. As we read Genesis 1:26 through 26-31 describing the creation of mankind, there is no doubt that we are the crowning point of God's creation. In fact, it's interesting, this is what David celebrates in Psalms chapter 8 when he writes in verses 3 through 4. He's it's like he's looking up in the sky and he says, When I consider your heavens and I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which, God, you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And so it's almost as if David, he's looking up at the sky, and he sees the heavens, and he says, man, when you look at this world around us, it's so big, it's so powerful, it's so beautiful, and man, it's just a tiny thing in comparison. What are we in comparison to this huge universe in which God created? And then it's almost like David takes his deep breath, because he realizes then in verses five through nine, look what he says, God You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor, speaking of mankind. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so as the crowning point of God's creation here, we, we, if you can get a load of this, if your mind can grab hold of this, we were created for one purpose, and that is to spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And what I want us to do this morning, and we'll finish it next Sunday, is to discover the significance of this, the ramifications of this, the implications for your life and my life of this. Notice number one. We were created by a divine plan. We were created by a divine plan when God said, let us make man. As we come to verse 26, immediately we notice there is a difference in the wording here in the creation of mankind versus the creation of everything else. There's this rhythm to the first five days of creation where Moses simply tells us, then God said and it was so. Then God said and it was so. Then God said and it was so. And that's repeated over and over again in the first five days. But then everything changes on the sixth day when God creates mankind in verse 26. It said, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, the words here that Moses uses are very deliberate and very purposeful. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And the, the phrase there, let us, it indicates that there's this divine dialogue going on as God deliberately, deliberates with the Godhead about the very creation of mankind. You say, well, who is the us here in this verse? Well, the us is a reference to the plurality of God. We've already touched on this a little bit back in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. In that word God, there's Elohim. And there's a sense there that that's a plurality. And we get a hint of the Trinity there. And we're seeing it again here with this pronoun of us and our. God is one God, but he exists as three persons. He exists as God the Father... God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so here's the point that Moses is trying to get across to us, that he wants to shape our view, if you will, of God, but also of ourselves, of humanity, is that we were created by a divine plan. It was God's decision and it was God's doing to create mankind. There were no outside influences, if you will, at the moment when God decided to do this. God simply said, in this divine dialogue, let us, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so motivated by nothing but his very own sovereignty and his very own perfect will, God made the decision to bring man into existence. You. And that's exactly what God did. You drop down to verse 27, and notice what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God said, hey, let's do this, and what does God do? God did what God said. God didn't call for help in this process. He decided it, and he did it. In fact, the word create here, it's actually repeated three different times. Why? Because Moses is emphasizing something to us. That it's God's doing in our creation of mankind, not some evolutionary process. God wants us to know that we were created by a divine plan through divine power, God's power. Now, on a little side note here. Just as in the creation of mankind, we are even get, seeing glimpses. We're, we're reminded, even in this act of creation of mankind, we're reminded that our salvation, our recreation in Christ, if you will, was God's decision and God's doing. Paul tells us, if you jump all the way to the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. You drop over to 2nd chapter and verse 8 of the same book, Ephesians, and Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's so much like the creation of the first person here, Adam and Eve, the salvation of each person is something that God does. It is God's plan and God's power that brings about our salvation salvation in Jesus Christ. Whoa, blow me away. What we see in creation is what we see in salvation here. So as the crown of God's creation, we discover that we were created by this divine plan of the Godhead. And now we discover an even greater significance. Notice it's number two. We were created in a divine pattern. We were created in a divine pattern. God says in our image. Now what's significant is that both animals and man were created on the same day. And that day was the sixth day. So you have both the animals and mankind, humanity, are created on the same day. And yet, and yet, we see that there was something distinct about mankind that made him vastly different than the animals. God says in verse 26, look at it with me again. He says let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then look what God did in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And what makes mankind distinct? What makes you distinct from all other creatures is that we, we alone as humanity, we are created in the image of God. And this distinction, oh let me tell you, it is incredible and it is significant. And it has huge implications for our lives. In fact, in his book on Genesis, Francis Schaefer contends that for the modern man, this phrase "the image of God" is as important as anything in all of Scripture. The words here that Moses uses, "image" and "likeness," two different words, and yet they are basically synonymous, and seem to be saying, uh, seem to be two ways of saying the same thing. So then the question becomes: Well, what are these words saying to us? image in likeness what is moses trying to communicate to us here is that we we are created in other words to resemble god we created to resemble him on earth to reflect god likeness if you will here on this earth look at a quarter maybe you have one in your pocket you pull it out and what do you see on that quarter well on the on one side you see the likeness of George Washington. The coin has been, quote, stamped with the image of our first president. And somewhat in the same way, we have been stamped with the image of God. But what does that mean in practical terms, that we've been stamped with the image of God? In other words, that we've been made in the image of God. In fact, one commentator says we're not just made in the image of God, we are the image of God. But what does this mean? Because here's what's interesting. There have been hundreds and hundreds of book, books written on this very subject, the image of God, trying to answer this very question. And there are all sorts of answers that they've, they've come up with in, in hundreds and hundreds of books over the years, and all of them contain truth. And, and, and so uh, you put all this together, and I'm going to try to simplify it for you in three simple uh Uh, points here on what it means to be made to be created in the image of God so number one here's what it means we are a unique reflection of God we're a unique reflection of God when mankind was created he was made like God in a way that he reflected the very glory of God now let that just sink in for a moment that's somewhat mind-boggling or at least it, we ought to be like whoa does that mean that I look like God no image here doesn't necessarily refer to appearance rather it refers to likeness or nature now obviously there is a big difference in fact this monumental difference between God and, and us right I mean, God's in a class all by himself. God is holy, not just one time holy, but holy, holy, holy. And so he is set apart unlike any of his creation. So human beings, as human beings, we we cannot accurately and correctly or even completely reflect the eternal infinite holy nature of God and yet we are a unique reflection of God we're made in his image so to look at the first man Genesis chapter 2 we find we know that his name is Adam his wife's name was Eve but that's in Genesis 2 right now we're focusing on the creation of humanity if you will the first man was, if you look at the first man, was to see this clear picture of the glory of the God who created him and after whose likeness he had been created. And so there's even this clue, we get some insight into what that means. What, that, what's, what, what, is, what is that to help us understand this concept of being a reflection of God? You jump over to Genesis chapter 5, and here's what it says. Adam... Fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So we're getting insight from humanity. What this look means with our relationship to God here. Seth and Adam were not exactly the same. Once the Father, once the Son. However, when you looked at Seth, he reminded you of who? Adam. The son looked like the father. In fact, we know this. This is common all the time, even today. We see somebody's son, and we're like, Whoa, man, that, 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 that son reminds me of his dad. Right? We know that. We get that. We see that all the time. We understand that. Okay? And so to look at Adam was to see something of the very glory of God in him. This is the reality of being created in the image of God. We are this unique reflection of God. That's amazing. That's mind-boggling. Number two, here's another point that it means to be created in the image of God. We have this capacity to relate to God. We're made we reflect God, we have, we're a unique reflection, but we also have the capacity to relate to God. And so there's in each one of us the capacity to know God, to be in a, in a relationship with God where we love Him and we worship Him. When we get to Genesis chapter 2, what we're going to see there is that this relationship between God and Adam and Eve is different than anything else in all of creation it's wholly different it's wholly distinct and unique being made in god's image means that god relates to us and we relate to god in a way that is far different than the animals now i have two dogs I have two boxers they're my girls god didn't give me girls so i had to go get some girls I love these girls. My boys, well, you know, some days I love them, some days I don't. These girls, man, they're awesome. I love my two dogs. And if you have a dog and you have a cat or any other pet, I know you love your dog and you love your cat, but your pets are not made in the image of God. Jasmine and Kaya are not made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. This means your dog doesn't pray and your cat doesn't seek the Lord. They can't. In fact, I don't know that a cat seeks much of anything or follows much of anything. (laughs) A dog is a dog and a cat is a cat. And so they can never know God in the way that we can know God. Only we who are created in the very image of God can know the God who made us. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us unique, which brings us then to number three. So we are a unique reflection of God. We see that we have this capacity to relate to God. And number three, we are ultimately responsible to God. In other words, because we are made in the image of God, we are responsible, therefore, to God for how we live in the image of God in fact what is interesting is the very first thing God does after he creates mankind is what he gives them this command to obey he gives them this mission this mandate to fulfill and when you give somebody a command a mission a mandate The implication is you're now responsible to achieve it, to do it. And you're now responsible to the person who's giving it to you. And in this case, it's God Almighty, the one who created us, and the one who's giving us the reason for living, the reason for existence. And so we are ultimately accountable to God and responsible to God. And we'll talk more about... This responsibility that's outlined here in these verses for us next Sunday. But for now, we simply need to understand, we need to embrace this idea that being made in the image of God means we are responsible to God. This is why we, and only humanity, when we come to the end of our lives, will stand before God to give an account. In fact... Do you realize your destiny is connected to your creator? You see, part of being made in the image of God is we are also eternal because we have a spirit, a soul. Animals do not. The animals will not stand before God at the end of their life. When the animals die, when my, I I had a dog, another dog, one of the best dogs I ever had, her name was Sadie. She was a yellow Labrador retriever, awesome dog. And she got old like all animals do, like all humans do. And we had to put her down. We took her to the vet and we had to put her down. And let me tell you, we, they, they took her and that was the end of her. She does not continue to live on. We human beings though, we're eternal in the sense we have this destiny where we die our, we, and our spirit, our soul continues to live on forever and ever. And that destiny is one of two places, heaven or hell. And so how we respond to this, how we embrace this now impacts all eternity, our destiny in all eternity. That sets us apart. That makes us unique. All right? So the fact that we have been created in the image of God now has several implications. So. We don't have time to get into every implication there is. I just want to highlight two implications of this, of what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means to be this unique reflection of God, what it means to have this capability to relate to God, and what it means that I'm ultimately responsible to God. And the implications is this. Here's the significance of being made in the image of God, created in the image of God. This makes you distinct from the animals and it gives you dignity as a human being. Now, what is Moses trying to tell us here in these verses? Again, listen to me, especially moms. It's Mother's Day here. You are unique. We were made in the image of God. This means you're not just another animal. You're not just a higher animal nor are you just more highly developed or smarter than the animals. You are wholly distinct from the animals. Today it's not uncommon for anthropologists to refer to man as, quote, human animals. But from Moses' perspective here, that is a contradiction in terms because you and you alone are made in the image of God. This is what gives dignity to humanity. This is what gives you dignity as a human being. Since all people are created in the image of God, that means, the implication is, Every single person has dignity and value. Nobody is excluded. That weird coworker, that nasty neighbor, that terrible driver, your in-laws, that person sitting next to you right now, they all have dignity because they are all made in the image of God. As C.S. Lewis said, you've never met a, quote, mere mortal, and you never will. In God's eyes, there are no ordinary people. Everyone matters to him because everyone is created in his image. Think of it. In the womb, the preborn baby is made in God's image. And the aging adult languishing in a nursing home is also made in the image of God. And everyone in between those two continuums is also made in the image of God. Folks, let me tell you this. Only God's word, only the scriptures, the word of God, has such a lofty and high view of what it means to be human. as early as Noah's day. God said in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And now listen to the basis of that command. For God made man in his own image. Human life is sacred and protected because of one thing, because of the image of God. James, you go to the New Testament here, and you read in James chapter 3, 9, and James there warns us against cursing men who are, quote, made in God's likeness. Why would James, this apostle, why would he warn us against cursing men who are made in the likeness of God? Because when we disrespect others... When we disrespect another human being, we are really disrespecting the God who made them, the God who created them. The image of God, by the way, is the foundation for human rights. In fact, it's the basis for all civil rights. In fact, when you study the great justice movements in history, the image of God, this truth is what drove it. This is why it is morally wrong to mistreat or to enslave or to persecute another human being simply because of a difference in their skin color, their culture, or their language. So what happens then? What happens to human life in a society, in a culture that ignores God and rejects the image of God? Well, in his book, Rethinking Life and Death, Peter Singer, who was a professor of bioethics at Princeton University, he has actually charted a course in his book for those who deny that we are made in the image of God. Singer, who is an atheist, by the way, assumes that the biblical view has now been superseded. He accepts that humans have value, but he argues that we differ from non-human animals only in degrees and not kind. Therefore, it's no surprise that Sr. continues to argue this, and here's his argument that he makes, that it's now legitimate to take the life of certain types of people, people who lack certain capabilities or certain capacities, such as babies in the womb, babies born with certain disabilities, people with certain physical handicaps and mental disabilities, elderly people who are becoming senile. In a sense Singer's worldviews here are simply consistent. His view of humanity is this, that human life, your life, is grounded in capacities and not the image of God. Therefore, In his argument, to be human, you must have certain physical and mental capacities. And then here's the logical conclusion to that. Aborting a baby is not aborting a human. Killing an infant with Down syndrome is not killing a human. Ending the life of a 73-year-old Alzheimer's patient is not ending human life. And that's the road that this leads you down if you reject God and reject the image of God. As soon as you start defining what it means to be human on the basis of capacities rather than the image of God, certain people are always excluded. This rejection of the image of God has not only, therefore, diminished, it has brought down the dignity of human life, the value of human life, but it has also then, the repercussions is, it has elevated the rights of animals and made them equal to humans. And we are seeing that in our culture. We have for the last 20, 30 years. And then now it's coming to a fever pitch. For example, a failure to recognize that the image of God is what makes humans distinct from animals has in large part led to the, quote, animal rights movement. The animal rights movement, sometimes called the animal liberation movement, animal personhood, or animal advocacy movement, is a social movement which seeks, here's their goal, which seeks an end to the rigid moral and legal distinction drawn between human and non-human animals, an end to the status of animals as property, and an end to their use in the research, food, clothing, and entertainment industries. But, as Wesley Smith writes in an article, and the title of this article here I'm going to quote from is Why the Animal Rights Versus Human Duties Distinction Matters. This author is not a Christian, but here's what he writes. The animal rights philosophy demotes humankind from the exceptional species into merely another animal. Indeed, should we personalize animals? In other words, give them dignity and value equal to human beings. That's what the implication there is. The consequences to humankind would be as profound as they would be detrimental our entire self-perception would be radically altered, our unique status corroded, which I submit would result in lowering our levels of humane behavior, not raising it. Not only that, but the very concept of rights would be undermined. After all, if everything has rights, in the end, nothing will. Then there is the purely practical matter. Who would really be the recipients of, quote, non-human rights? Not the animals. The true rights holders would be radical advocates who would be granted legal standing to become the guardians to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. And then he goes on in the same article and he says this, I also disagree with Jonah Goldberg's call for the death penalty against elephant poachers. And now he's given this example of what happens when you elevate the animals to the same level of humanity. And we see this in the social media and in the news all the time. And so now he continues, he writes, I disagree with this one other guy, this author, who's calling for the death penalty against elephant poachers. There is a relativistic and emotional response to an awful crime based on the sheer magnificence of such animals. A value judgment, I would note, that only we as human beings are capable of making. He says, then, don't get me wrong, I believe poaching should be combated vigorously, but the death penalty, as a matter of legal punishment, should be limited to crimes against human beings. Otherwise, we would be saying that as a matter of criminal law, elephant lives matter just as much as our own. That poaching equals first-degree murder. And he says, I'm sorry, they just don't. And killing any animal with malice is not as heinous as the murder of a human being. If we ever decide it is, I think we are in deep trouble as a society. But that's where we're going. Now, I tell you all that because I want you to see how significant this is. The importance of this. And hopefully you're beginning to understand, you're beginning to see right here from the very beginning in the book of Genesis just how significant the image of God really is in our lives and how it impacts our view of humanity and all the rest of creation. The image of God is what makes you distinct. From the animals, and it's what gives you dignity as a human being. Listen, you are a unique reflection of God. You have the capacity to relate to God, and you are ultimately responsible to God. Moms, you are created in the image of God here, and this makes you special, and unique in God's eyes. And it's what gives you dignity as a mom. Yes, your kids call you mom. And you have been blessed with the role of motherhood, but make no mistake about it, first and foremost, God calls you his image bearer. For you have been created in God's image, and this makes you distinct as a mother, and this gives you dignity as a mother. So the question then is: we conclude this, how should we respond to this? Because this is radical, this is incredible, this is wonderful, it's amazing. How then should we respond to this wonderful truth of being made in the image of God? I think it comes down to this, or it could be some. A lot of different responses but let me give you this one let me leave you with this response first of all acknowledge God as your creator acknowledge that I have a creator God created me start there and acknowledge God as your creator and then praise his name for creating you in his image Remember, our purpose is to spread the glory of God. Let it start with you, praising His name, giving Him glory above anyone else. Again, Psalm 8 contains these lovely, lofty words where David writes in verses 4 and 5, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. That's that's who we are. We are the crowning point of God's creation. So acknowledge God as your creator. And then praise His name for creating you in His image. And let us, especially those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who have embraced the Son of God, the one who is fully man, Fully God, who came to restore this marred image in us by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Let us, who have embraced that truth, who are now in Christ, who is the perfect image of God himself. Because we cannot fulfill this all on our own. We blew it in our sinfulness but God came and he restores it in us, thank God. And so for those of you that have embraced Jesus Christ, let us then leave here this morning, declaring what David declared here in verse 9. Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we oh how we thank you for the truth of your word to us today here in Genesis chapter one. Let this truth sink deep into our hearts. Let it take root and let it shape our world view of who you are as our creator and who we are as the crowning point of your creation in your image. Lord, thank you for creating us in your image. And sending Jesus to die for our sins so that your image would be restored in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.